Listen, did that first session, was it helpful? And remember, all you're doing is you're trying to ask the question, how do I live with the end in mind? So I did a series. I've done two series now on prophets, and, uh, which I've never done before. I did the book of Daniel. I forget over how many weeks. And then after that, I did, I did the book of Jeremiah. But in Jeremiah, I looked at the character. I looked at the man. And I learned to hold on lessons through his life. But when I did Daniel, we got to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, it's kind of, kind of God showing Daniel the great scheme of where everything's going to go. So it's quite apocalyptic. And describes kings and battles and rulers and all the rest. It's quite overwhelming because what he's really saying is the world... Because remember, one thing about the devil is not even in, in agreement with his own friends. Do you know what I'm saying? So if you meet someone, for instance, who Jesus said, I'd like you to meet Lucifer. Okay? Not your brother-in-law. <laughs> Lucifer. And I'll describe his character to you like this. He comes to steal, to kill, and he comes to destroy. In other words, that's all he knows how. Now, none of you know that anyone like this, I hope. But have you ever heard of someone who's a narcissist? What is the characteristics of narcissism? They cannot see anything outside of how it works for them, right? And never see consequences. That's Lucifer. It's narcissistic. Everything is around himself. Now, therefore, every dealing him and his minions have with each other even. Do you think when the devil goes to a lying spirit and says, what happened? just want to put it out there. Do you think that lying spirit responds <laughs> truthfully? Do, do you hear what I'm saying? I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but there's nothing consistent in that world. And so in Daniel 11, you get this incredible display of what chaos happens when the enemy's at work, like today. And that's why kingdoms are just against kingdoms, etc. Then there's a verse in Daniel chapter 11, Verse 32, it says in the end of Daniel eleven thirty-two, the people who know their God will firmly resist. So when chaos happens and deceiving the church, and, and uh, he even says that unless they were being held, even the righteous would fall away. Then in Daniel 11. We read about it later in the book of Revelation, and I'm sure you know that 70% of the book of Revelation is the retelling of the prophecies to the book of Daniel. I'm sure you know that. There's only 30% that isn't. 70% of Daniel is again in the book, uh, sorry, the whole of, of book of Daniel, the, the apocalyptic literature, is found in the book of Revelation. It constitutes 70% of the 22 chapters of Revelation, and it's cyclical, which means it's repeated the same story a number of times from different perspectives. And the reality is the world's gone to hell. And with the world going to hell, there's a group of people called the church. Now imagine, you come to church, and we say we want you to be a deacon, or we want you to be an elder. Would you consider being a home group? Be like, i got to go and pray about it. I want to hear what the Lord says. You know we are. We're like, now God comes. And he says, I want you to understand the nature, from this perspective, I want you to understand the nature of an eternal supernatural conflict that I have allowed that I remain in charge of, that I have orchestrated. Can you remember that God created Satan with the possibility to rebel? 
God created mankind with sufficient free will that from the moment he created us, the only way he could create us to have a relationship with him is he had to give us choice. And choice not between good and better, but between good and evil. Correct? And God did all this before he formed a single one of us. And then still determined that before the creation of the world, his son would have to die to give us the privilege of free choice, knowing a number of us wouldn't choose well. You still with me? Now he goes and he looks at this world. And then he goes and he says, right, I'm going to choose for myself a group of people out of the world. I'm going to call them the church. Then out of those, I'm going to call another group to serve me. Even an elder cannot be an elder unless the Holy Spirit has made them. So God begins to choose leadership. And if you notice in the Bible, whenever God chose a leader, did you notice they freaked out? Remember, not me. I can't speak. I can't do this. I'm only a child. All the excuses come. And that's often, you know, someone who has been chosen by God for the simple reason it scares you. And you don't want to do it. The one who isn't chosen as a leader is the one who looks and says, if God chooses me, he gets a good deal. I know what I can do. Now, if God is here and he's put you there, and then he says, listen, whatever I call you to, I just need you to know, I will be with you. I will guide your path. I will equip you. I will put my spirit in you. You will fellowship with me. I will never leave or forsake you. You start to kind of feel, maybe I can do this. Because he's there. So now we come back down to our level. It says, the people who know their God will firmly resist. So I took the whole of part one, really, to say this. It's the people who know their God. That's where I was going. Because if you know him and you walk with him, everything else can happen. I have no identity outside of him. Which leads to number two, it says, The people who know their God will firmly resist him. And that's how you live with the end in mind. Because now, remember, once Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the disciples into the world, have any of you ever been to an equip? Any of you? Who knows? By the end of a really good equip, you leave that place, want to take the world for about three days. Right? Normally ends on Friday, on a high Saturday. Maybe you've got a visiting speaker in the church on Sunday. By Monday, by Tuesday... The coffee's cold, it's over, and Jesus, please come soon. Are you with me? Which is probably, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, around verse, it's the last worst prayer we can ever pray. Come, Lord Jesus. The reason we want him to come is we don't want to pay our income tax because, because tax season has just opened up, right? So we don't want to pay. So, Lord, please come because I owe SARS. Whereas we know the Bible says the only thing keeping Jesus in heaven is unsaved people who do not yet know him, who face a Christless eternity. So these disciples, you can imagine, Jesus is ascending to heaven and says, I send you to the world. Even to Peter, indicating the means by which he would die. And Jesus kind of hinted to the disciples that each of them would drink the cup that he drinks from. Remember, can you drink from this cup? Well, we can. He says, well, actually, then he says, you will. Now, I don't know how Jesus, as a possibly 33-year-old, spoke to a lot of other probably 20-year-olds. At that point in time, he was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. I wonder what he must have thought when he looks at these young firebrand 20-year-olds who say, we will, Peter, I'll walk, I'll walk with water. 
And he says, yeah, and you will all drink from my cup. All of you. How do you live that life then? How do you resist so that the kingdom can advance? Four things that we've done. Number one, the people who know their God will firmly resist. Number one, hold on to what you believe. Okay. Hold on to what you believe. What do you really believe? Faith in God's power, God's sovereign power, is the foundation and basis for all our hope and all our activity for God. Is our faith in his sovereign power. History is the account of the working of God, accomplishing his sovereign purposes in our time. We understand that. I mean, do you believe this? Do you truly believe that history is his story? Do you believe that history is the outworking of God's plan? Because people are born randomly. People die. People are born. Accidents happen. Wada, 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 all the rest of it. Yet God is in there somewhere. And then we're told in the book of Acts that even you, who you are, what you look like, the way you're made, who your parents were, the language you speak, the color of your skin, the country you live in, were all determined for you before you were born, the exact places you would live and how you would serve God. In other words, you are perfectly positioned in who you are for where God wants you. And the worst thing we do is with a curse of comparison, we start to look at the lives of others and say, if only I was more dot, 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 then I would be able to serve God. If I only had more. In other words, God... You may be sovereign there, but with me, you are not sovereign. What do you really believe? Because apparently the Lord only really provided fully for Americans. You look at TV, you look at everything. The land of the free, the home of the brave. There, there, you, you know, everyone's secret dream is to win a green card and go live in America to be killed in a mall by a shooter. That's where God lives. You're born in Africa. I mean, what are we? So what do you believe? What do you believe around why you were put where you are and for God's purpose? Okay? Because it comes down to this. What do you really believe about God? I mean, those who know their God will firmly resist. How can I resist if I don't even know my God? His character, his attributes. Have you fallen in love with what scripture reveals about God? I mean, the Bible doesn't tell you everything about the Lord. It just tells you what you need to know now. You will spend eternity growing in your knowledge of God. Does God still take your breath away? The question, when I, two of my friends got really big churches, and the one went to the other one one day, and they were talking together, and he was tired. And he said, but he's come to church, he's... he's because I want to tell you, the bigger the church, the bigger the hassles. Is that right? Dudley always said, success will test you like failure never will. I remember when our church was 50 or 100 or 150 or 200 people strong. It was much easier than now. The pressure is much bigger. You never ask for money, but you need noughts, 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 noughts after the one every month. And you can't ask the people for money. You don't know what's going on. My wife... Uh, does analysis of financial. She does analysis. and She realized that the government tells us that 
that currently um, inflation is sitting at roundabout properly around 7%. Whereas, she said over the last 18 months, product value has gone up 23%. Where the price of fuel has gone up, expenses have actually gone up 40% in the last 18 months for real South Africans. So our government can say whatever they like. Things have done this for a number of reasons. In this environment, who is your God? This is my question to you. Is it fear, worry, let's make a plan, or is it the God of the universe? So what do you believe about God? What do you believe about His power? I haven't got time for that. What do you believe about his presence? We talked about that in the, in the eldership meeting last night. What do you, how do we facilitate and accommodate the presence of God? And so the one question asked was, do we look at our meetings? Do we look at our Sunday meetings and say, you know, you've you got to have notices. You've got to have some worship. got to have some coffee. got to have some preaching. How do we facilitate the Lord's presence? I said, you know what? When that question is asked, take four steps back or ten steps back. Because what we're discussing is the presence of God in a two-hour meeting, correct? I think your church runs about two hours, probably. Nine to 11. Two hours. How long is a week? 168 hours. So we want to now have a three-hour meeting about how to get the Lord's presence into two of the 168 hours. My question is, how are we facilitating His presence in the, the 168, uh, other 166 hours? How are we facilitating his presence in our lives so that Corinthians says, when we come together, each one has an overflow of gifting. You don't create it here. You simply allow here what's happening there. So I want to know in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, in your workplace, in your relationships, where's the presence of God? What do you believe about his presence? Do you believe it when he says, wherever you put your foot, I'm already there? Do you believe this? What do you believe? Because can I tell you something? You make decisions and you act out every single day on what you believe. So sometimes we know what you believe because we watch you. Then you come sit with us and tell us what you believe, which is nonsense. Because I'm looking at what I'm seeing. Is that okay? Four little things. How do you faithfully stand till the end. Well, what do you believe? Number two, do you know how to resist? Do you know how to resist? Power is attractive. Power is seductive. We try and do things in our own power. We don't rely on the power of the Lord. And then Daniel 11, verse 32 says this, With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many. Though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. Can I tell you, sometimes obedience to God means a lifetime in a hostile world that's opposed to what God wants. Daniel, Jeremiah were called to live in a hostile environment. Our country has been pleasantly disposed towards the gospel and to a degree still is, right? You say you're a pastor, they still treat you a little bit of respect. 
Other places in the world, they look at you like, couldn't you get a real job? That you have to go and live on the fantasies and fairy tales that you tell other people. There was a couple was in our church. They had a son, good job, very clever, started doing games and gaming and all this. Headhunted to a job over in another country. I haven't seen or heard from him for seven years. I bumped into the parents the other day. I ended up having a quick meal with them, and I said, how's your boy? They said, our boy who is now married, who's taller than me, six foot four, that our boy who's now married has hair down to here, has grown breasts and is busy with a gender transformation. Has changed his name. He, was, he played in our youth band. Power is seductive. I make decisions for my life. I relocate to another country. When you I, 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 I enough with power, you begin to actually believe you have the power of decision making of your own life. You cannot resist then. Because you get blinded. And with flattery. I flatter you. I'll tell you, you can do this by yourself. Sometimes we've got to understand that we have to lay down our lives. We have to lay down our lives to serve Jesus. Resistance can mean literally laying your life down. I've had people leave us to go elsewhere because clearly God told them. And when they've gone, men have been a blessing. And we tell them, if you go because God's sending you somewhere to be a blessing and the fruitfulness is there, we're all over it. And we've lost dozens. We've also lost dozens who went because they said, oh, I'm worried what's happening to the country, or I don't, living in jo- I don't like living in Joburg, or I don't like they're not running to, they're running from. And in almost every single circumstance, no church has benefited by them going. And I want to tell you, no matter where you go, God will always tell you to lay your life down. He never sends you to something more easy. Never sends you to something more comfortable. Are you okay? He's, wherever he sends you, you will still have to lay your life down. So in other words, not only do I learn to know what do I believe, I have to agree with God that I also have to resist. I have to resist power. I have to resist comfort. I have to resist. Your whole life you're going to have to resist. Guys, we're calling a night of prayer. Yeah, I'm busy. You have to resist the urge to serve yourself. Resistance is just part of what we do. Are you okay? Got to make sacrifices, but we do have to resist. Got some quotes there. It's Jim Elliott, all the rest of it. Number three. Number one is, what do you believe? Because it determines your actions. Number two, keep resisting. Spoke to my physio the other day, and uh, you know, I, do, I had to do like hectic physio now because I've got my new hips and that. And uh, he said to me, Greg, don't forget, as soon as you are able to, try and get back to resistance training. I said, what do you mean? He says, they've done tests. He said, it's proven beyond anything now. I don't, I'm sure it's none of you here. But if any of you even had an osteoarthritis or a form of arthritis right now, it is proven that resistance training is the best remedy for the human body or anything like that. They say your bones are so alive, they break down and build up every single day. And they said, interestingly, he says, when you run, like, you know, runners, you see how many of them get sick? 
And how many of them land up getting diseases and this and that? He said, because you cannot build up resistance training without it. You have to do muscle work where things are broken down and built up. Resistance is part of our nature. If we weren't resisted to even by gravity, you just float. You wouldn't be here very long. We'd all be roped down. You with me? Resistance strengthens. Resistance enables you to stand. It stops you from shrinking and crumbling. Don't say I'm so tired of fighting, I can't resist anymore. Number three, teach those around you. End of Daniel 11.33 says, those who are wise will instruct many. Do you know how many people surround this church right now whose lives are shaped by present reality instead of eternal reality. They're living in right now. And unless we teach, unless we communicate, unless the word of God goes from this building to them, they're never going to know what they're supposed to know. Many of our friends, our neighbors go through life without any thought of final resurrection. They don't know they stand under the judgment of God. They don't even know God is angry with them. And he is. God is angry with sin. God is also angry with sinners. God loves the sinner, but that is true. But he's also angry because we violate him and his covenant all the time. I mean, who is in a better position to speak about eternity if not you? If you know what you believe and you know what you're resisting, guys, the sharp end of what we do is we have to teach. We have to talk. We have to communicate. Whether it's alpha courses, one-by-one evangelism, sharing your testimony, praying for someone, we have to be a people who communicate this gospel. The gospel has to be taught. Jesus said, go and teach them to obey. Now, I didn't put it in the notes, but I'd love to ask you, do you know your Bible? What version do you read? How do you study? What, what resources have you put in place as a leader? To know what the Word of God says. Do you just read your Bible and if so, it's the Message Bible? Or do you understand different translations of the Bible? How do you study? How do you research? How, how do I communicate God's truth? What do you say? How do you teach? The content is important because the first Adam and the last Adam were both confronted by the devil who said, did God say? And how do I know my God? How do I know what I believe? How do I resist if my content is weak? Now remember, I'm not saying memorize Hebrew and memorize Greek and become head heavy, but no one's ever changed by the gospel around you. But you've got to know how to teach. Would you know, if I just took us quickly, or one minute each up there, if you had one minute to spend with a brand new believer, what would you speak to them about this? And I give you a subject. Would you be able to quickly just for one minute speak out the basics that you know? Are we able to ground our people? It's there. It's in, the, it's, it's in your Bible. Look and see. Most basic question. Okay, I'm Christian now. What do I do next? Do I need to be water baptized? How do I pray? How do I read my Bible? How do I hear God's voice? How do I resist sin? How do I speak to my neighbors? How do I grow? What do I do? Do you have answers for these basic things? Lastly, I want to land this. The notes are far fuller. But I tell you what. We are to pray. We are to pray. 
pray continuously. You see, a people of prayer are a people connected to the life of God. So I would ask this question. How should or how could a healthy prayer life in a church look like? What percentage of people come to pray? What percentage sees the value of prayer? I want to tell you, it not only builds intimacy with God, but I talked about power just now. The only power a Christian has comes out of his or her prayer life. I hope you're listening to me. Our victory comes as we obey God. As we faithfully obey what he tells us in the place of prayer. Have you ever heard that saying, all good things must come to an end? You know, if you've gone on holiday and you've had a really lack of holiday, and there's always some idiot who says to you, well, all good things must come to an end. I want to tell you something. All bad things must also come to an end. It's not only good things that come to an end, and that's why we pray, because bad things also come to an end. And we can trust God that this is time now for some of those bad things to come to an end. And prayer is the place. Jesus made it his, his imperative every day to get to God. And, and if Jesus, who's perfect, needs to pray, how much more does this guy need to be found in the presence of God? Someone asked me just now, it was you, sir, asked me about how do I handle leaders or people when they drift away and they walk away and they hurt you. How do you think Jesus handled knowing most of his disciples were going to desert him? One was going to betray him and one was going to deny him. I think Jesus kept his heart clean in the place of prayer. Because I think in the place of prayer, you bring your own heart before God and say, Lord, would you minister to me? Would you spend time with me? The biggest danger to prayer is your prayer tradition. Your prayer tradition. I've gone to churches. Have you ever had all night prayer? I go to a place. Hey, they're praying there next door. The whole night. Three nights in a row. But nothing ever changes. And then Jesus says, you will not be heard because of your many words. No, but I want 24 hours of prayer. And when 24 hours is finished, we do another 24. Then we do another 24. You know what the problem with some of your prayer lives is? You talk too much. Prayer is 95% listening. Prayer is 95% listening. It is the discipline of letting God be God in the conversation. Not you dominating a prayer time. And Jesus says, you will not be heard because of your many words. But there you are. Shandara, 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 shandara. Even the Lord goes on holiday, comes back, and there you are. You're still shandaraing 43rd hour. He's like, okay. And then, and then Jesus, uh, listen here. Then Jesus says, your Father in heaven knows what you need before. So do you think he needs to be reminded? And that's why Jesus said, therefore, when you pray, we all know what he said. There's, so you need to pray an engagement that says, actually, Lord, can I, here I've written down five things I really, really need you to come through for. And my heart is best, for, but I want to learn to wait on you. Because that's how you resist. That's how I believe. That's how I resist. That's how I teach is what's coming here. Are you okay? What does a church's prayer life look like? I think it begins outside of your prayer meetings. I think when you face a day with a glint in your eye, because you know God has spoken, doesn't mean you know what he means. You don't have to know. 
Because the Bible says we know in part. We prophesy in part. Whenever you come and say, okay, now I know what the Lord wants me to do. What you mean is, now I have a small glimpse of an idea that may be half a percent accurate of what I think maybe God wants me to do. And start there. But a people of prayer are a people connected. Paul, um, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, praying in the Spirit. Was it James? Who talked about praying in the Spirit? He said, when I pray, I strengthen myself. I strengthen myself in my spirit, praying in tongues. And I want to encourage you to be a people who are so connected with the presence of the Lord. I find the presence of God comes when I pray. And if I want to finish well, I know I have to pray. Rule 101, Mike and Chris will tell you, if I counsel anyone in our church, anyone, Greg, I need to see for this reason. Firstly, I've got to get through all the other elders and the counseling team. It's impossible to get to me. But once you get to me, and you sit there, and I want to just talk to you about this problem. My first question I ask you always is this. But how's your quiet times? My first question. And I've already told the church. So when you come to me, and you get through all those, and you finally get to me, it takes you three or four months. But when you get there, please know the question I'm going to ask you is how's your quiet times? In other words, is God's voice louder than your circumstances? Is God's voice louder than what you want? Prayerlessness is powerlessness. It is a fact. And when a person prays, that voice of God is louder than the voice of the enemy. But you've got to be a person of prayer, a person who listens. Your devotional life is critical as a leader. How dare you lead people when you don't have a clue what God is saying to you or to anybody else? Leaders cannot be part of the problem. And you know what the worst thing is with us prophetic types? We know what God's saying to everyone except us. Hey, line them up. Have a prayer. Hey, the Lord just spoke a word. The Lord spoke, the Lord spoke a word. And you would say, oh. oh. You want this church to pop? Let the men and women be faithful in the place of prayer. I'm telling you. It's a young mate of mine, Josh Benj, has got a church in. Just taken over a church in Balaclava in, uh, in, in, in just 80 k's outside of, of Adelaide. And I was speaking to him the other day, and he said, Greg, he just said, like, I reckon revival's coming to Aussie. He said, I'm just praying. I'm believing God. Really? He says, Greg, a couple of weeks ago, a husband and wife, and I said, are they migrants? Are they immigrants? Because there's a lot of immigrant kids. Are they immigrants? Or, or he says, no. I mean, Darren Prosser, who leads a church in Adelaide, they have grown by over 70 South Americans in their church in the last 12 months who can't speak English. They're now contemplating a corner there where someone uses Google Translate. He says he walks around with his phone with Google Translate to talk to the people who are in his church now because his migrants are coming in saying they're skilled workers, they're looking for God, but they can't even talk. In his church in Adelaide at Kingdom Life. He spoke to me three days ago. He said, Greg, because I'm preaching there soon. He's like, just understand, they're going to have a whole lot of whispering happening in the corner there with these folks who can't speak English. So when Josh spoke to me, I said, are they like this? Are they migrants? He says, no. He says, but they're dinkum Aussies. They heard about us from somewhere. We're 80 k's out of Adelaide. They drove to us and said, we got a problem. He said, I led them both to Christ and a deliverance on the husband. And now they're driving to church every Sunday. I said, who brought them? He says, they don't even know. They had something happen inside. And they landed up being led to this church in a one-horse town. Where I'll be as well in about four weeks' time. And, and I said, what happened? He said, Greg, all we're doing is praying. And God's bringing them. 
And we, we even worship here early. I just felt like there's going to be people being brought into this church, coming here. They don't even know. Why you visit? I don't know. Okay, then why here? I don't know. But God brought them because your prayer life is going to attract. Remember, Jesus prayed and prayed. People, people remember, Ty preached that time. There was interruption upon his interruption upon his interruption. God has a way of bringing circumstances to pass that you weren't even looking for. Interestingly, it never happens to people who don't pray. Just goes right past them. They can't see it for what it is. You dig your roots of prayer. You're going to be so surprised with what starts to pop in the next couple of weeks and months as a church. When God weighs you, and I'm not talking about pray three hours as opposed to two, and I'm not in any way advocating anything of a works program in prayer. Because Paul says pray continually. It means be switched on to the presence of God, no matter where you are. And I close with this. The elders, told the elders last night. So my wife, the last few days, she said, oh, there's this one beggar, he's got a beard down. Yeah, she, she's, God's spoken to her about giving some money to the, or food for this. So after last Sunday, I see her stopped at a garage. I was driving past. She's got a car you can't miss. And so, and so I went in and saw it. She bought a whole bag of stuff. She says, Greg, it's for a guy outside there. I felt God said I must give it to him. He's been on my heart. So I said, but it's a guy. Would you mind? No, no worries. I go out there. There ain't no guy. So I told her. So we go home, drop the stuff. Tuesday night, we go out for dinner. Boss is here from America at the moment. We go out for dinner with him. We get back late. And as we're driving back past that same traffic light, she says, that's him. There he is. Like, oh. She says, we've got to go back. We've got to give him money because the packet's at home. Turn around, drive, go past, find out. He's like, oh, past nine, 10 o'clock. No, by 10 o'clock. Said, okay. Hi, wind a window down. Vanessa gives him some money. He puts his head in the door, in the window, and he goes, thank you, Vanessa and Pastor Greg. Vanessa freaks out. It's like, you know us. And he goes, yeah, I'm very familiar with New Day Church. Thank you so much. God bless you. We just looked at each other for days. And there's oaks at every corner. For days, she felt that guy. Just those little ways of listening. Those little moments unlock opportunities. I had a gay neighbor married to another gay oak. Lived next door to me. God spoke to me about them. Start speaking to them. He goes to some party. After being at home alone for three months, he walks in the door. His hell is broken out in his relationship at home. Goes to a party. That lady that goes to him takes one look at him. Bit of a clairvoyant. But now we realize she's actually a bit of a Christian clairvoyant. But she, she looks at him. Doesn't even know him. And says, You've, there's a curse over your life. Someone has spoken this thing over you. You're not in a good place. But you live next door to a pastor. And God says, go to that pastor and his wife and you'll be set free. Sorry, I am. What's your name? Next morning I get a phone call. Six o'clock, can I come see you? So I go across to him, lead him to the Lord, pray, deliverance. Do you know he's now dating that chick and they come to our church? <laughs> Divorced all over. All I'm saying is, and all I'm doing is like, Lord, I, I love my neighbor. His name is Marcel. I love him. I want, Lord, how do I just speak? Lord, he's just speaking, little whisper. God does something. He says, Greg, it's a public holiday, 1st of May this year. Can you? Oh, last year, sorry, it's been over a year now. <sighs> okay, I'll come. God says, I want you to go. What opportunities? is Grace Covenant about to burst into because the people have engaged the frequency of heaven and they're saying, yes, Lord. You will hear a little voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it.
That's how you live with the end in mind. I'm done. Yay. All right, what do we do next? <laughs> Come, let's stand. <laughs>